Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani. And I'm Chuck Mendenhall. And I'm Pete Carroll, and together we are Three Pack. Join us on the brand new Spotify Live app immediately after all of the biggest fights in combat sports. And also during the weigh-ins, because that's when the real drama happens. So what are you waiting for? Follow the Ring MMA show right now on our exclusive Spotify podcast feed. And come join the best community in MMA. Peace! We're out of here. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. It is Monday, January 30th. Peacock has kind of been the punching bag of the streaming wars. It's the smallest of the major company services. It's only been around two and a half years. It's US only. It's owned by a cable company, Comcast, sort of torn between the old world and the new. Not a lot of buzzy shows. And its biggest hit, some would say its only hit, is Yellowstone, a show from another company, Paramount, ended up on Peacock basically by some deal-making fluke. That's all still pretty much true, but this week we got some updated numbers on Peacock, and they weren't terrible. The subscriber numbers shot up to 20 million. That's a 5 million gain in just the fourth quarter. It doubled its revenue from 2021, and the programming is objectively getting better. The NBC shows that used to be on Hulu the day after they air have moved over. I watch SNL there. My wife watches Housewives. The Universal movies are there. I watched Nope and Bros there recently from, in their first windows on pay TV. They've got WWE Wrestling, Hallmark Hub for movies, Sunday Night Football, and a bunch of sports in the NBC relationship. And this past week, they dropped a new mystery show called Poker Face with Natasha Leone from the Knives Out director Ryan Johnson. Critics like it. We'll see if it's a hit. But it seems like the best chance that Peacock has had for a show that regular people actually talk about. So is Peacock on the rise now? Financially speaking, not quite. On that same earnings call last week, Comcast announced that Peacock lost $2.5 billion this past year, and it will likely lose $3 billion this next year before leveling off and eventually, they hope, turning a profit. They say that could happen in the next few years, but it seems a ways off, and there are plenty of analysts and investors who think Comcast should just give up, shut down Peacock, sell the entertainment assets, or merge them into a company that can actually compete with the big boys of streaming. Basically, Comcast is a broadband company. What are they doing in this content war anyways? Very stark choices there. So I've got Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg back today to discuss them all. It's a Peacock Palooza today. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw of Bloomberg. Welcome back, Lucas. Great to be back. This past week, we had some reveals on Peacock, some new numbers. We made a lot of fun of Peacock on this show. We uh, are often not very nice to them, but I feel like 20 million subscribers up from 15 last quarter, not bad. Like, is it time? Is it time to not kick Peacock when it's down? 
You you feel like we're not nice? Sometimes. I mean, listen, Peacock has always been the kind of also ran streaming service. It's owned by Comcast, who we've always kind of been skeptical that they actually want to even be in this business because obviously they're a cable company. It doesn't have the number of subscribers. It doesn't have the content that some of these bigger ones does. It's U.S. only. And it's, you know, it's kind of the, the biggest hit is Yellowstone, which is owned by another company. Uh, it's it's always been something that you're like, oh, yeah, Peacock, whatever. But they've got some good stuff there now. I'll, I'll Here's the nice stuff I'll say about Peacock. Um, yes, they added 5 million subscribers, and they're now at 20 which does still make them far and away the, the the lowest on the totem pole, but they're like getting to somewhat respectable numbers. They accounted for 1% of all TV viewing in the U.S. in December, according to Nielsen, which is the first time they ever appeared on Nielsen's The Gauge chart. And they're starting to have some nice hits with originals. The, the Best Man TV series that sort of spun out of the, the movie franchise did really well for them in December. They have this new show, Poker Face. We don't have any numbers on it uh, based purely on anic- kind of anecdotal evidence. It's doing really well, uh, or at least with a certain type of viewer. But here's the thing that I would love for them to clarify about the subscriber numbers and the viewership numbers, because I think that the vast majority of it is due to the World Cup. Yeah, that is the big elephant in this room, because as we know, they had the Spanish language rights to World Cup which is not only popular amongst Spanish language people, it was also the only way to watch World Cup on streaming. So if you are a cord cutter and you don't particularly care to hear the um, you know, U.S. announcers, you could watch on Peacock and not have to subscribe to a cable system. Um, and that's a huge deal. So the question will be how many of those people stick around because if they came to Peacock for World Cup, and stay, then great. It's fine. Win. Yeah. It's not a knock against Peacock to say that they came in for the World Cup, right? Like having sports has been a central part of its proposition all along. It's why they do the soccer deals. Uh, you know, it's why they have one of the reasons that they have football. It's one of the reasons they did the deal with the WWE, uh, which is kind of a sport. Uh, and it's why they're seen as a as a possible bidder for the NBA rights when they come up, even though NBC hasn't had the NBA in a very long time. Um, so yes, the key is, can you bring people in with the sports and keep them in a way that it seemed like they couldn't do with the Olympics when Peacock was very nascent and they have a big challenge coming up with the 2024 Olympics next year. I've, I've had some people tell me basically that if like that doesn't blow it out for Peacock, you can just say goodbye. Well, we'll get to whether Peacock is long for this world still, but I do think that the sports component is a real distinguisher. Here because we've seen it on Paramount Plus as well. They've had some big subscriber numbers and they have better shows and they have you know Top Gun Maverick and things like that. But they also have football. And if you're a cord cutter now, you can watch football on these services. And if you have Amazon Prime and you have Paramount Plus and you have Peacock, that's you know, Sunday, Sunday evening and Thursday football games. The only thing you're missing really is Monday night football, and that's pretty good. Um, and I do think the WWE, WWE put out a, a release today saying they were up 40% in the Royal Rumble numbers from this past weekend. Um, I assume you did not watch the Royal Rumble? I did not, but I have been. <laughs> Craig did. Craig just likes to dress up. I'm going to go back and watch it. Uh, and I have been listening to a, <laughs> a book about the WWE just for my own edification. 
Well, I have heard that the numbers for Royal Rumble were about 2 million viewers, up from 1.3 last year, and both were on Peacock. So something is going on there. Either the subscriber numbers for Peacock are going up, and these are the kind of people who do watch sports and sports entertainment, or, I mean, there's some other stuff going on where WWE is now being welcomed more onto the NBC Universal platforms. Like, they got a, a Roman Reigns on Fallon, and they got somebody who was on Sunday Night Football. So they're doing better promotion. But that's a good data point there to show that like people are coming to Peacock for a certain reason. We did a, a study at Puck on uh, some of the demo groups for the services, and it was interesting. Peacock over-indexed with older female viewers, um, and I think that's probably because the Housewives stuff is on Peacock, all the Bravo shows. All those NBCU cable networks skew have skewed more female for the most right. part. Yeah. yeah, but they, I mean, listen, they've got all the universal movies now are going in their first window on Peacock. I watched Bros there. I watched Nope there. I mean, Tar is there right now, one of the Oscar movies. So they're they're kind of building one by one these, these building blocks. They've got Hallmark movies. Like there's enough stuff there where it can be more than just reruns of The Office. Yeah, well, so here's the here's the interesting thing. Uh, you you talk about kind of one by one. I feel like the messaging out of Comcast, which which owns Peacock, has always been, you know, we're going to be more rational than or kind of more sober than some of our peers. We're not going to spend crazy amounts of money. We're going to like build this thing slowly, build this thing profitably. That's sort of been the messaging, and it 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 bears out in sort of what you see on the platform that it feels like it's slowly getting a little bit of momentum. But the thing in the numbers is that it's losing a right. fortune. And well, so let's talk about that because, <laughs> you know, you look at what happened at Disney where Bob Chapek got fired after Disney Plus revealed that it lost a billion dollars in streaming in the quarter. And then you come over to NBC Universal and Comcast and they announced they lost a billion dollars last quarter on Peacock. And they are estimating to lose three billion dollars this year on Peacock. And everyone's cheering there as if it's like they're about to turn the corner and, and create something really valuable. Like, that's not great. Those numbers are not great. And content costs money. Yeah. Well, and they're probably offloading a bunch of the cost stuff on Peacock, both the revenue and the cost on Peacock and getting it out of the way now. I mean, look, they're... Their explanation about sort of costs peaking this year was something a little bit similar to what we heard Bob Chapek talk about with Disney before he got fired, which was sort of we're at the peak of our cash burn. The the good right. thing is that the leadership of Comcast and NBC Universal is is very safe. Um, it makes look they launched kind of late. They launched a little bit after Disney Plus. Um, they've a lot of their big shows got delayed in part because of pandemic production issues. Um, and I think they are just sort of hitting their stride in terms of what they're putting out there. So it makes sense that kind of the cost is really high and they don't have the customer base uh, to pay for it yet. And they're hoping that basically, you know, when we we have this conversation a year from now, Peacock will be at 30 million customers or whatever it is, and everything will look a little bit better. Um, the, the question is, is sort of the, the patience. Um, and again, here's where I think Peacock's a little more insulated because it's part of this larger company in Comcast. There's not the same pressure from investors that there is on Disney with Disney Plus, where Disney Plus is the future or was billed as the future of Disney. Comcast has never said Peacock is like the future of its company. Its future is still in selling you internet. Yeah, the broadband business is basically what, co what Comcast trades on. And they have this entertainment 
unit that tries to compete with the big boys and in many ways does. And they have a theme park business that they're really investing in and in many ways investing more than Disney is in some of these parks. Uh, it's just that this service has always been kind of a laughing stock. And I've heard from people at NBC Universal saying it's got a year. If this thing doesn't turn around or become something real or the numbers don't start to turn towards profitability, then they have they will have no problem just cutting bait and getting out of it. Can they do that, do you think? Do you think Comcast can consider themselves a real media company if they are not playing for real in the streaming game? I think they kind of have to, right? Yeah, I don't see how you can shut down Peacock and also keep all those TV networks they have. It'd be one thing if it were just a streaming service on its own, right? But you need to, you know, you have these decaying assets like the NBC network, like Bravo. Um, and so if you were going to sh- if you were going to do something, I think you'd try to spin it all out or sell all of it or do something more dramatic there, which I just it doesn't seem like Comcast has been all that interested in doing. Well, they may at some point. I mean, there's speculation. They may. they may merge it with Warner Brothers Discovery or Paramount or one of those. Sure. I just think addressing Peacock individually doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. And, you know, they have done things that are not platform centric, meaning, you know, NBC had manifest and, you know, could have directed that show to Peacock, uh, even though it's produced by Warner Brothers, but they let it go. And it went to Netflix, became a huge hit. They had Universal girls- and mm-hmm. Universal TV produces a lot for third parties. You yeah. know, it it um it's and a really they, they good have comedy this, producer. They have this Tina Fey show, Girls Five Eva, that aired two seasons on Peacock, never really found an audience. And then to keep the show going, they're letting Netflix pick up the third season and it'll be exclusive to Netflix, but the other two seasons will be concurrently on Peacock and Netflix. And that's a unique deal that they did to keep an expensive show going uh, by using the Netflix audience and the Netflix money. Uh, But again, it takes exclusive content away from Peacock. So it's kind of this, they're not all in, they've got one foot in and they're still trying to extract more money. And I think that's probably a theme we're going to start to see more with these companies. We're already seeing it with Warner Brothers Discovery. But if you're not Netflix, you're going to try to build your service, but also build your revenue. Yeah. They're gonna all these other companies have studios that have historically made a lot of money mm-hmm. by selling to everyone. Um, and they th- that changed over the last decade or so as everyone sort of copied the Netflix or which was or really the the HBO model of keeping everything in-house. Yeah. Um, but you're seeing, you know, at NBC Universal never and and never really stopped selling to third parties, but Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount have sort of gone back and forth and are both now selling a lot more. I mean, to your to your point about the future of, of Peacock, the other thing obviously hanging over this is what happens between Comcast and Disney uh, as to Comcast's 30% stake in Hulu. Right. That's a big deal. By next year, they have to decide either Disney exercises its option and buys Comcast out, or they can negotiate some other deal you know, there there's some people who think Comcast should buy it because Disney doesn't really need Hulu and Hulu would, would put Comcast more in the game. I, I like that idea, except for the fact that what is Hulu without all the shows and the shows mostly come from Disney and Fox and they're going to want to claw that stuff back for their own service if they don't own Hulu, at least 
after a few years if they have some kind of licensing deal. So it's a tough situation. I think Hulu probably makes more sense within Disney because they have most of the content that's attached to Hulu already. Uh, but it's an issue because Disney Plus obviously is a much bigger service than Peacock is, and Peacock would be benefited by Hulu. And all those shows now, the one another big factor we're not talking about here, we should be, is that NBC Universal is now directing all of those shows that went next day to Hulu only to Peacock. So if I want to watch SNL on Sunday mornings, if I want to watch, you know, uh, an, an NBC show the next day, I got to go to Peacock now, and I used to be able to go to Hulu. Yeah. Well, if you want to watch SNL, you can still go to YouTube. But that's true. Or Twitter. They're they're being very aggressive. Do you notice that SNL has started putting feeds of the backstage stuff on Twitter and on, and on social channels? I it's a, a very that. subtle thing they started doing. I saw this past weekend with the Michael B. Jordan episode. That is a big step for SNL. They like famously have not really done great on the internet. Um, but if they can start doing that stuff, that's a big, big benefit for them. But that's a side topic. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. One thing to your to your earlier point about uh, Hulu meaning more to one than the other, or they wouldn't get the Hulu shows if it went over to Comcast. The one thing I would say is going back to kind of Girls 5 Eva, one of the issues that Peacock has is it just can't deliver an audience, right? Like Girls 5 Eva was a show that critics liked, and it felt like, and people believe that on Netflix can find a bigger audience. Oh, it's going to be big on Netflix. While, while Hulu is not Netflix. Yeah. It, I would argue that Girls 5 Eva on Hulu would have had would have done better than Girls 5 Eva on Peacock. And there are the assets in the NBC universe. If you just take the Hulu brand and the Hulu audience and you can plug in some of the NBCU programming, I think it could do better. Nobody's looking for this stuff on Peacock. They have yeah. to establish that brand as a home for the kinds of shows you want. I mean, I don't, you know, if you think about it, what are people watching on Peacock that is meaningful? They're watching Yellowstone. And Yellowstone is a show they don't own and they don't really have the branding around it. It's just kind of the episodes dump there. And if you're looking for Yellowstone, as I was during the pandemic, I'm like, oh, I guess I got to go to Peacock. I mean, that's that's the problem they've had. But maybe the show Poker Face will be a brand establishing show for Peacock in a sense that people will think of them in a different way and start going there to look for these kinds of shows and not just how do I watch football if I don't have a cable subscription or how do I watch Royal Rumble um, you know, and they're going to tell me when I'm watching uh, Friday Night Raw, oh, I got to go to Peacock to watch Royal Rumble. Maybe this is your opportunity to become a big wrestling fan. I think so. No, I'm getting into it. My my kid's going to hit that age where we'll watch it together, hopefully, and he'll start to try to body slam me. Uh, the pricing is also an issue. Pricing, I mean, they were very aggressive from the beginning on having this ad-supported 
cheaper tier. I think because of the NBC Universal Comcast kind of advertising and pricing skills that they have, they knew that there would be a separate audience for a cheaper ad supported tier uh, than the higher price premium tier much be- long before some of the other services got around to doing that. And maybe that can benefit. If you look at it, they were talking about this on the earnings call, $5 a month with ads is the best bargain in streaming right now for the major services. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's, it's, it's very affordable. It's in the same ballpark uh, as Paramount plus. And it's one of the only ones with a free tier. I mean, we started, we watched their new show, Poker Face, last night. The first episode was free. And then we wanted to watch the second one so badly that we l- signed up for the $5 a month ad-supported one. It, it worked and, and exactly how they as ads? they intended. Were they annoying? Not nearly as annoying as I thought they were going to be. Okay. Watch, um, though. They know once you get more yes, further and further well, into the season, they'll, the they'll ads help. become more and more annoying. It's super, super annoying. The other issue that 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 they've had a little bit is more of an internal one, which is just that there's been sort of many masters of programming at and many masters. There's been many masters of Peacock and many masters of programming within NBC Universal, and it's taken them some time to basically all agree to work together. Um, I don't know that they're all fully on the same page now, but I think they they've sort of gotten with the program more than they did when Peacock first launched. Yeah, they hired this executive who was at Hulu, right? Kelly Campbell. And she was a Google advertising executive. And they poached her from Hulu, brought her over to run. But that was after it launched. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. That was way after. Yeah. No, that's, at one point, Bonnie Hammer was running it on the content. And and she had been a career cable executive. And you know they have this issue where the film studio, Universal, doesn't really program original films or use the film library for Peacock. So they've got this like kind of many masters type thing. And I think they're figuring that out. I mean, now with the Universal movies going directly there, you see real benefit on Hulu to having that universal relationship. But before you didn't have that. And like, yeah. why is there why is there no Fast and Furious TV show on Peacock? Ask Vin Diesel. He holds the keys. I mean, they could do it. It's all about family. They could do it. They could have different family members. <laughs> it would seem like a no-brainer to create TV spinoffs of some of those big franchises, whether you have something related to Fast and Furious, something with kind of minions or in the Illumination family. Yeah. Oh, they uh, they did it with Pitch Perfect, that uh, Adam Devine show that I am not sure was a big hit, but they renewed it for season two. Yeah. All right. Uh, so are you so are you bullish on Peacock or are you plucking the feathers here? Um. I think I mixed my animal metaphors. You definitely did. I don't even, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I think that they're, they are showing more promise than they have in a very long time, but uh, it's going to be dependent on kind of retaining subscribers from the World Cup bump and then more consistently delivering program programming that anybody cares about. I mean, that's sort of their, the football season is now ending, so they're not going to get a boost from that. Um, and so they're going to need to find, they don't have another, they don't really have another big sporting event other than the WWE stuff. I guess they have golf. No, they all, I should, they also have, uh, they also have soccer, which is a, oh yeah, they have the premier league stuff, but that's a very specific audience. And I think they've probably already captured a lot of the like true soccer diehards. Um, and so I think it's going to be, it's now the like combo of original programming and how can they use the movies 
Um, cause they're starting to, they're starting to, I think, you know, you know, Universal has been one of the more consistent movie studios. I think they'll have, they'll grow, they'll grow a decent amount. They're still going to lose a ton of money and Comcast is still going to face kind of some big existential question about what it wants to do in entertainment 12 to 18 months from now. Well, and that's my question is when does that existential question come to bear for them? Because if we are in 2024 and the losses have not gone down, and the programming is good and the numbers keep going up, but they're not really a player. Like, at what point does the shit hit the fan and they say, okay, we're, we're cutting this loose or we're doing some kind of transaction or something that will make this meaningful? I think it has to be related. It, it, it's related to external factors. It's related to what happens on the, on the Hulu deal with Disney. Mm-hmm. And it's related to whether Warner Brothers Discovery or Paramount become meaningfully in play. Right. Yeah, and there could be other larger M&A situations afoot, meaning if they try to merge with a Warner Discovery or a Paramount, then Peacock kind of comes along for the ride there. Right, or it gets folded into or merged with. Finally, the goal someday is for the Yellowstone universe to be reunited between Paramount and NBC Universal via streaming and on their cable network. Nothing would make you happier. It really would. I just, I wouldn't have to explain it to every person I know. Why is Yellowstone on Peacock? I have a, so I, I, I'm not up to date on Yellowstone, but the people I talk to say that the, the universe is starting to show signs that Taylor shared in a stretch too thin. Do you agree or disagree? How, how dare you? How, seriously, how, how dare you even go there? 1923 is a work of art. I, they were talking about the most recent season of Yellowstone. But, oh, um, no, it's a soap opera. What, what do they want? It's like everybody's sleeping with everyone and killing everybody. It's like a it's it's a soap. Um, it the, it was a little shaky this season, but um, but I actually liked. I mean, these are like night even nineteen twenty three is just half of it is like a a pulp novel set in Africa where there's this like torrid love affair that means nothing for the main plot. It doesn't. It's kind of silly, but I still watch. If you had to give up Yellowstone or Succession, which one would you give up first? Oh, Yellowstone. Succession. Okay. Don't. Don't touch my succession. Okay. All right. Good to know. <laughs> All right, two, that's two months it. away. Yeah, no, I know. Trust me, we're counting the days. All right, that is Lucas Shaw. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, have you been following every little news development in the Andrea Riseborough Oscar scandal? Thanks to you, yes. <laughs> I have become a little obsessed with this in my newsletter. <laughs> Um, it is my JFK assassination. I, I refuse to give up on this story. Uh, no, it's actually really fascinating. And people in Hollywood are, are very interested in this. Uh, if you haven't, since we did the pod last week with uh, Danny Weinstein, the Academy announced that they are investigating whether the campaign tactics that Andrea Riseborough and her manager and the wife of the director of her film to Leslie employed were potentially violating some of the guidelines and rules that the Academy has for campaigning. There are very strict rules that stuff that you can and can't do. And they said that maybe some of these calls and emails and private events and, you know, uh, potentially disparaging some of the other nominees on social media, that that may not be kosher. What do you think about all this as, as someone who's observing? Well, you know, it's not dissimilar to sports. It's actually, I mean, this is kind of like tampering essentially, right? This yeah, is like basically. a team reaching out to a coach too early, a draft prospect, having communication with somebody when you shouldn't, or you know, trying to grease the wheels in a way that's not okay before you're allowed to or whatnot. So um, 
I, I do think this is, I, I agree with what you said in your newsletter, essentially, that this all sounds pretty stupid when you zoom out. However, you need rules, otherwise it would be absolute chaos. And this does feel a little bit icky. Yeah, people don't realize, but there are very sophisticated campaigns that go on for the Oscars. And if there weren't rules, you'd have people literally running shuttle buses to screenings from homes in Beverly Hills and Pacific Palisades all day, every day. You'd have people <laughs> knocking on doors. You'd have, you know... Uh, giant submarine sandwiches delivered to voters' doors. Like, it would be the purge, essentially. And I think that, you know, people look at this, and they're like, well, wait a second. These campaigns, they spend millions of dollars to try to build, you know, buy billboards and win over voters. Why can't this actress in a movie nobody saw have her manager call some people and say, hey, watch the movie? I agree that sounds reasonable, but mm -hmm. there are rules. And you are supposed to follow the rules. You're not supposed to harass people via 10 emails a day or a week. You're not supposed to have these, you know, these this coordinated campaign where you're providing materials to people to get out there and post to try to you know, churn the waters and get people to see it. So I don't know. It's my prediction here is I don't think the Academy is actually going to punish anyone. I don't think that they are going to disqualify. Andrea Riseborough, um, she is, is you know, it's, it would be a very, very draconian step to say, you're not nominated anymore. We're going to four nominees or we're going to bump up the sixth person. I just don't think the Academy wants to open that door because then all Oscar campaigns will start to get scrutinized very heavily. Um, I do think that they will offer some new rules for the future. They're going to update, in my opinion, these rules for campaigning and lobbying to address the social media era, where if you are coordinating a campaign across platform, having these actresses with very big followings put out messaging that is from a campaign. Yeah, but how are you going to prove that? Isn't a lot of this done in back channels? How are you going to prove does, it? It is. It is. But you can do it via, you know, you're not allowed to send more than one email. I mean, there's already a rule that says you're not supposed to send more than one email a week to people. Um, and there's, you know, they can enforce that better. They could have a rule where you, you're not allowed to provide materials to people to post on their social channels. Because that is one of the allegations here is that the campaign was putting these materials in the hands of the representatives or the social media managers of these actresses with big followings to get them to promote it. So it looks organic, but it actually isn't organic. We're not, I'm not saying that happened, but that is one of the claims here. Uh, and, you know, you can prevent people from doing these nonstop salons or events at their homes where if you get an invite to somebody's home to watch a, a screening there, there's an implicit kind of endorsement or a nudge like, hey, you should probably be voting for this. Some of this happens organically, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be able to campaign. Absolutely. Like, this is the best, the best word of mouth is the best endorsement of anything, but there is a line and the Academy has to figure out where that line is and enforce it. Look, I'm up for anything that brings me less spammed content on my social media platforms. I don't need any more promotional tweets. You just want to be invited to the parties. Yeah, I, I want Riseboro to invite me to the screening is what I'm really exactly. saying. Exactly. You want to you watch a movie in Kate Blanchett's screening room, right? <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Korobeck. And I want to thank you. We will see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.